Well, welcome to the Situation Report for August 23rd, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. I should be joined shortly by Lieutenant Colonel Conrad. Hopefully, uh, all things being equal, we'll uh, be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Conrad. And uh, we'll have a discussion about, we had a long discussion yesterday about the synchronization of all these activities around the planet and who the the global players are. Uh, so we'll, we're going to try and finish that discussion today. And then I had a few questions uh, posted into the chat, one of which was about the situation in Ukraine with the drones. The, the drones are signal, but do you pay attention to it? No, because there's going to be back and forth attack, counterattack, point, counterpoint throughout the conflict. So the the play-by-play isn't nearly as important as the major moves on the board. So you're what we're what you really care about, <coughs> sorry, in Ukraine is you care about the the major movements of both armies, counterattacks, um, et cetera, et cetera. You care about those because the major movements are going to define the outcome of the war. And if they're not moving and it's a static war, then you're going to have a, a bigger issue going on, right? A pro- protracted, prolonged conflict. I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that the Ukrainians are running out of people, right? 400,000. If And I'm going off of what McGregor and um, a few others have said. The uh, if the, If I just go off of those numbers, then I'm looking at, 400,000 dead on the, on the Russian side or the Ukrainian side and 50,000 dead on the Russian side. Truth of the matter is, I don't think anybody really knows what the, the big picture death count is for each side. I mean, I, think about it this way. Can you imagine we had 5,000 dead in Iraq and Afghanistan? That's 5,000 dead from the military. That's not contractors. That's not um, foreign nationals that were contracted with us. We didn't count those numbers. We didn't. We didn't. Um, we didn't even pay attention to those numbers. What we paid attention to is we paid attention to just the military numbers, right? So if I just go by the military numbers coming out of Ukraine and Russia, you can't trust any of them. people on live sorry the uh you know the 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 other side of the fe- the other side of the fence here is all things being equal if if mcgregor's right there's four hundred thousand dead on the ukrainian side there's fifty thousand dead on the russian side if you if you get into a a protracted conflict which basically trench warfare and there's not a lot of movement that it could be months before there's activity or some kind of offensive and in that that part of the world, winter is extremely harsh. So they're going to want to move in the summertime when the ground is hard, versus when it or in the dead of winter when the ground is hard, or the the you know the heat of summer, not in the spring or fall because they get heavy rains and mud, et cetera, et cetera. So if we're going to see movement, it's going to be now between now and October is when we're going to see movement. And the Russians are supposedly on the move, but they're not moving fast. So the signal is going to be major movements, not these minor these minor skirmishes. Those are going to happen throughout the, the conflict zone. 
And then the the other question um, that was thrown in front of me today was the, the question about Prigozhin. Was he shot down? Was it Putin that shot him down? So, you know, it, it, hard to say, but the initial the initial reports were that the plane broke apart after two explosions and then fell to the ground. And then a little while later, um, a couple of channels started reporting that it was shot down by Russian air defense and that he was he was hurriedly leaving um, Kirkuk for or sorry, um, Kharkov for for Moscow. And one of the planes turned back. There's a there's a lot of conflicting information. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Russian air defense actually shot him down, because that will follow up Putin's comments uh, on May 12th, which said all those traitors will be held accountable. I, I think it's very interesting that uh, today of all days, why the 23rd? Why today? Clearly, there's something going on in Belarus. There's something going on on the Polish border that they don't want Pergozin to know about or even have any information about. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the Russians are planning some kind of an offensive operation into Poland. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's all posturing, but it's hard to say at this point. The other the other interesting thing that happened today was the mugshots coming out of Georgia and the, the, the number of folks that are um, showing up, Sidney Powell, uh, Giuliani. There was a few other mugshots that were published today. And, and I think it's interesting that... Um, they flew down to Georgia for mugshots. That's that's really interesting. And uh, Jenna Ellis, like really, Jenna Ellis. So it'll be interesting to see which way they go with this this court fight. I think it's, I think it's rather stupid because uh, what jurisdiction do you have? But you know, stranger and dumber things have happened. Especially dumber things have happened uh, coming out of the the um, administration. But the, the other news today that people really need to pay attention to that signal is they're already posturing. The White House released a message today about COVID lockdowns. The new COVID lockdowns are coming. And I, and I love the bullshit they use when they, when they publish these things. And re, so today, the U.S. government releasing national COVID-19 preparedness plan which will enable America to move forward safely, sustaining and building on the progress we've made over the past 13 months. Let me translate that for you. Roughly translated, that means, number one, we're going to lock down again. Number two, we've handed over sovereignty in 40 cities to the World Health Organization. And number three, we're going to make sure we do everything we can to destroy the economy while we're doing this. And we're going to continue. And when they say build, they mean they're building the apparatus for the control system that they have in China right here. And they've expanded the COVID lockdown procedures. They've expanded every single one of the IGAs. And if you don't know what an IGA is, it's an intergovernmental agreement. The intergovernmental agreements were signed back in 2019. And the way they did it here in Arizona, every state's different. The way they did it in Arizona was they went county to county. And they sign these intergovernmental agreements between the CDC and the county. And essentially, the IGA says that in a time of national emergency or national health emergency, and now they've expanded that term to include 
any kind of environmental emergency, they hand over sovereignty of the county or the state to the CDC, which in turn hands it over to the World Health Organization. That's a massive, massive violation of not only the delegation authority of each and every county, but it's you're handing over sovereignty of, of US, U.S. property, U.S. territory to a foreign nation. That's treason in its purest form. So let's roll that up to a bigger picture. The bigger picture is that you have county officials committing treason. You have state officials committing treason. You have national level authorities committing treason by signing these documents. And I don't know how many states have signed these agreements. I know most of the blue states, if not all of them have. I know 40 cities just signed um, an agreement with the World Health Organization to cut back on meat and dairy by 2030. Phoenix is one of those cities. That's treason. You're handing over control of a sovereign part of the United States to a foreign entity. That's treason in its purest form. That's signal. All the rest of it is noise, all this prosecution noise. And the reason why they're doing the prosecutions in the first place is so they can bury the Hunter Biden and the Biden crime stuff at the national level and divert everybody's attention to this. But guess where everybody's attention is right now? They're on COVID lockdowns. You're seeing it across all of the social media spectrum. Everyone's saying the same thing. Resist, resist, resist. Resist in every single way. And people are now talking about bringing out the Nuremberg protocols. There's there's so much disinformation about the Nuremberg protocols. Here's what I suggest to everybody. Because I got to ask this question today too. If you're going to do any research around Nuremberg, go actually read the Nuremberg protocols and the results of the trials. It's, it's really light reading, I tell you. But it will give you a flavor for what we did after World War II because of the Nazi genetic experiments, the Nazi um, death camps, and the things they did to the Jews. There's, there's a book called The Nazi Doctors, and it, it outlines everything Joseph Mengele did to the Jews in the concentration camps. And if you read, I got through about 20 chapters of it, and it's just insidious. It's, it is the, it's the most insidious thing I've ever read. And they took man, meticulous notes while they were doing all this, this, this torture. So one of the things they would do is they'd line people up, male and female, they'd line them up by age, and then they'd put them in front of a counter and they'd have somebody sitting behind the counter that had their, their foot on a, on a lever. And as soon as they got up to the counter, they would hold the lever down and they would be irradiated with radiation. And literally they would time it from the time that they irradiated them with a specific amount of radiation to the time that they either got sick or died all the way through. And they took meticulous notes. So Part of the research we were doing in the 50s, the Nazis had done it during World War II. And after the war, when we, when we uh, repatriated all of the, the um, concentration camps, we stumbled across this information. And it took us you know, years to process through all of it because there were so many notes and it was so meticulously done. That's literally what the Nuremberg Code and the Nuremberg trials were all about. 
not just war crimes, but genocide. And we wrote specific treaties about genocide. And when the, back in the late 90s, when uh, Rwanda was in civil war and there was a massive famine there, Bill Clinton would not declare that it was genocide because he knew if he did, he would have to commit U.S. troops to go in and clean it up under the, the Nuremberg Code. And he didn't want to do it. All he had to say was one word genocide. And he could have sent troops in, cleaned it up, but he had no interest in doing that. Why? Because the public favor and the public opinion did not support intervention. That's literally how, how the Clintons have worked forever. But that's, that was the result that the word genocide was a result of World War II. And I, I've listened to probably five people this week, including Roseanne Barr, say the Holocaust never happened. I, it's like flat earthers and all the rest of it. And it, which brings me to the point of rewriting history. There's, there's so much rewriting going on and editing right now that it's almost incumbent on you and I to document what's going on day to day. So there's a historical factual record of what's actually transpiring. But even then, the only thing you can write down is what you are observing and what you're actually seeing in the physical world. Nothing online is real. Nothing. Not one bit. Which is, to me, is amazing because I would think that we would have a single source of truth somewhere in our environment. But no, we don't have any single source of truth. And I've talked about that for a while. Um, and I've brought it up in multiple sit reps. But the problem is, even, and this is why I dedicated a whole sit rep to all the grifters. Because it's, we're going to look back at this period. We're going to look back at what transpired. We're looking, we're going to look back at how it transpired. We're going to look back at all of the actions that were taken by our government, by our city government, by our local officials. And it's going to be staggering the number of people that were complicit in this, especially in the COVID narrative and the COVID situation, because you have hospital staff that even now, even today, there's hospital staff, hospital administrators, hospital executives, healthcare executives that are taking money from the CDC to perpetuate the COVID lie and the COVID lockdowns. That's how they did it the first time. They went into all these hospitals. They wrote these big, massive checks for everybody in the hospitals. And they did the same thing at the counties to get the, the uh, IGAs in place. They, they flooded all these counties that normally are cash strapped with tons of federal money. And of course, the counties are going to take the money. The hospitals are going to take the money. It's a margin business. It's not a business where you, you go in and get, you get care and they, you know, they make money. Because insurance companies are, by and large, predominantly insurance companies are, by and large, they are cash-strapped and they, they don't want to pay out. So the, the entire healthcare business in and of itself is a, is a margin business. I know I work in healthcare right now and it's, it's a margin business. Now I haven't heard anything about bonuses or anything like that for COVID, but I work in the, I work in the imaging side of the house. So where you're going to see the, the COVID payments go is to the hospitals, the clinics and the healthcare providers in the big organizations like Kaiser Permanente, um, Providence and some of the others. Once, once they kick this off in October, 
They're going to go back to masks. They're going to come up with, with some reason to do mandatory vaccinations again. They're going to, they're definitely going to do it across the federal government and they're definitely going to do it across the military. It's where, where the defining line was drawn during the first round of COVID was in the private sector. And the courts have already ruled that they can't delegate authority to the CDC or to OSHA or to anybody else to enforce these lockdowns. They're going to have to do it through the state governors, which should tell you that they've been planning for this for a very long time. And they're, they're back on plan to go back under COVID lockdowns knowing full well that the public support is not there, but they're going to go and do the lockdowns anyway, and they're going to do their level best to try and get people to sign up for the lockdowns, even though less than 15% of the country is signed up to do it again. And this time around, like I said in my last sit rep on the 21st, this time around, people are going to get violent and physical. Why? Because all those virtue signaling Karens those liberal assholes that came out of the woodwork to report their neighbors, call the police because they weren't masked, stop people at the door at grocery stores. They're all getting bitch beat this time. And I don't mean just bitch beat with fists. They're going to get bitch beat with cans, with baseball bats, and everything else that's handy. That's, that's how much vitriol is in the country. Because remember, people lost their businesses the first time around. With the stroke of a pen, Governors across the country eviscerated icons that had been in cities and towns for decades, vaporized with the stroke of a pen. That's not going to happen this time. And they know it. And they're going to do it again because they're trying to, they're trying to drive the country to civil war. Here's the problem they're going to have. There's not enough people on their side to support a civil war. So. If you look at the bigger picture, you see a number of things all transpiring all at the same time. So I want to put a scenario in front of you, and then I want to I want to throw some supporting information at you so that you can see where why I'm thinking this and why I'm looking at it this way. They know they don't have the support. Part of the conversation I had with Lieutenant Colonel Conrad yesterday was I've been perplexed since day one around the participation of both China and Russia in destabilization operations against the United States. The lab was in Wuhan. I thought it was comical that the Chinese representative is standing in front of the UN talking about U.S. biolabs when they were the ones running the biolab with U.S. help and Anthony Fauci's money in Wuhan, with the, which is a military lab. Priceless. Yeah, like they're innocent. And the interesting part of the, the entire statement was not that they were sitting there making the statement. But the interesting part was the fact that they were making the statement and accusing the U.S. of all of these different war crimes, which could be true. Two things could be true at once. But I know one thing for a fact that every communication device, every communication company, Every single manufacturer of electronics in, in China, everything they make, phones home, everything, all of their communication companies, whether it's a cell phone company, social media company, radio, doesn't matter. All Chinese intelligence apparatus, 
every single one of them. And they even have a vast network of country, uh, companies that are spread across the world that are all part of the Chinese intelligence apparatus. So you're going to sit there and stand in front of the UN knowing that you have one of the biggest intelligence apparatuses on the planet. And you're going to say that you didn't know anything about a lab that was in your own country. Do you realize how stupid that sounds? But that's how communists work. They will stand there and gaslight you. Do you know why they can do that? They can do that because they control the media in their own country and they can cover all the atrocities that they commit in their own borders. That's what they're trying to roll out here. They want to roll out the apparatus using COVID money to be able to obfuscate and hide all of the atrocities that they want to commit. Case in point, if they would have kicked doors, the FBI would have kicked doors on a 75-year-old and they had complete control of the media, you would have never heard about it. That's what they're trying to build with COVID money. That's what they spent three years doing with all of that money. They spent the time building the apparatus and the infrastructure to build all of the surveillance systems and surveillance apparatus, facial recognition, which is where now? It's in all of the airports. Not turned on in all the airports, but they're rolling it out everywhere. And what did Twitter or X or whatever the fuck Elon Musk is calling it today, what are they doing now? You have to submit a picture to be verified now. Facial recognition. Isn't that interesting? In every one of these instances, they used money from the federal government to build this apparatus. That's what they're, that's what this, the first phase was. This next phase is all about consolidating power. So where I was going originally, where I'll come back to is the one thing that I've had the hardest time reconciling is what are they using the 400 to 500,000 troops that they've infiltrated in this country over the past year from China? What are they using them for? They've been slowly buying land around all of our military bases. They've been slowly buying buying land around all of our critical infrastructure. And there's there's a Chinese game, I can't remember the name of it, that they they basically surround. The, the object of the game is to surround your opponent to the point where they can't move. Sure sounds like that's what they're doing. But the hard part and the, the hard part to connect the dots on this is what's the, the catalyst to pull the trigger? And I think the catalyst to pull the trigger is that they realize that no matter how, how much critical race theory they push into the military, how much indoctrination they push into the military, they're still not going to have over 50% of the military support any operation that would declare martial law and require the military to fire on citizens. So it makes better sense to pin them down on their bases fighting some kind of protracted hit and run or asymmetric fight against a quote unquote invisible enemy that can pivot and move with the support of the intelligence agencies and they can declare a national emergency and bring in foreign troops. That to me is a likely scenario. And as crazy and far-fetched as that sounds, the when you move troops into an AO, especially that number of troops, you got to feed, how clothes, et cetera. You can't tell me that that number of troops came into this country and our military did not know about it. Our government did not know about it. You cannot tell me that. I know that we used to monitor 
and we would fly an aircraft called J-STARS. Basically, it's an aircraft with side side scan radar that could look into buildings to see tanks and and see infantry vehicles, et cetera. And you could you could literally fly over an area and see where all of the enemy equipment was. In every case, we monitored Soviet activity on the border for years, even though they didn't have the capability to move. And this is back when the Soviet Union was the Soviet Union, not Russia. We would we spent enormous amount of resources watching what they were doing, watching how they were doing, watching when they were doing it, et cetera, et cetera. And in every single instance, anytime there was a major movement, we would literally jump off and start moving things. That's why the, the 82nd Airborne was always on 24-hour alert. So they could move the whole brigade and had air assets in place to move the brigade to Europe in a five or six hour period. So it, it makes a lot of sense to pin pin down an entire military and ship all the equipment overseas so they can't really respond and move. Sure makes a lot of sense to do that. The Red Dawn moment, I, I just, you know, I go back and forth on the Red Dawn moment because that's been a topic of discussion too. The problem with the Red Dawn moment is to hold this country, you'd have to have 10 or 50 million troops here to do it. And even if they control the cities, that's 10 million troops. The only people I know that can pull it off would be the, the Chinese. And that would be a, a tall feat to do that. You're talking about a massive amount of logistics and they don't have the, they just don't have that capability, not seafaring, not air either. And maybe they've moved 10 million troops into Canada and the U S over the last 10 years, but that's a hell of a lot of troops to move. We can barely move a hundred troops with two airplanes in a coordinated fashion, let alone keep a secret that long to move them somewhere. That, that's, that was always the problem in the classified environment was that you couldn't keep anything a secret because there's so many people in the chain, you start talking about it, and even the name of the program would be compromised at some point. So I find it hard to believe that the Chinese, with as much noise as they make, could pull off a red dawn moment. But, you know, I could be surprised. <clears throat> I think their, their time's better spent. And I think um, both Colonel Conrad and <clears throat> Piper are right that it's a one-trick pony. So... This COVID lockdown that's coming, I think it's a bigger, the bigger picture is, is to drive more of the control system. And it's going to fail because the public's not going to support it and they're going to fight back. I'm, are, you're already seeing the vitriol on TikTok and on Facebook. Well, you're seeing it on TikTok more than anywhere else because Facebook's already been, been censoring people. And you won't see it on YouTube, but you're seeing it on Rumble. You're definitely seeing it on BitChute. So... In every case, we're starting to see the pushback build. Wait until they lock down the airports. And a bigger scenario from that, that is potentially, because I had this conversation today at lunch, a bigger scenario is, I've been saying for a long time, they're driving us towards a Sri Lanka moment. Imagine that they shut down the airports because some kind of an asymmetric attack. And asymmetric means it's guerrilla warfare and it's, it's not, you're not fighting a uniformed enemy on a, on a battle line, what we call the fort edge of the battle area. You're fighting an enemy that's moving and hitting targets randomly. That's called asymmetric warfare. Imagine asymmetric warfare that's being levied against the U S and it's being levied against the U S right here. 
and they shut down the airports. Because remember 9-11, what was the first thing they did in 9-11? Ran some planes into a building, shut down all the airports. And then train travel was clogged up. Everybody moved to cars. Well, imagine if we run out of fuel and they the logistics of fuel stops or slows to the point because of derailments, because of because of equipment breakdowns, whatever the case may be, lack of spare parts, whatever. Imagine that they shut down all of the fuel to the point where you can't roll on the roads and they declare a national emergency and bring in foreign troops. You have a recipe right there for not just civil war, but you have a recipe for massive destabilization. And people are already struggling enough financially. If you add to that some kind of economic crisis on top of this COVID, this bullshit COVID narrative, you've got the recipe for a lot of different um, codes in the U.S. and a lot of different contingency actions and plans being executed because of this quote-unquote crisis. And they they have been trying to convince the public that we're in an environmental crisis, but now the public has been pushing back so much, they've, they're have they abandoning that narrative and they're going back to COVID. And most of the public know that COVID is 99% survivable. And they're using this whole new you know Canadian bullshit variant to drive the new narrative, which is this one's deadlier than the rest. Remember Omicron? Yeah. Narrative over. Th- that's, that's what they're angling towards. And no matter how you slice it, um, where Colonel Conrad and I depart is we depart in the, in the sense that he thinks that this is going to stretch into 24. I do not. I think this is going to happen in the next two months. I think it's going to happen quickly. I think things are going to degrade quickly after Labor Day if they don't degrade before. And I think we're going to start to see things stop working because they know they can't run the elections in 24. No one buys the election story anymore. The safest, most secure. No one buys that narrative. No one buys the narrative that Joe Biden won. Not even not even liberals buy it anymore because they're watching the craziness come out of the White House and they're watching the gaslighting. And even the most staunch liberals are like, yeah, this is there's something seriously wrong here. In every single one of those cases, you're seeing public backlash. And they know they can't do that. So they need a crisis event, a critical moment in order to achieve their ends and then shut off the 24 election so they can anoint whoever they want. I still think it's Gavin Newsom because that guy is, he's, he's Lucifer incarnate. I still think Jared Kushner is the antichrist, but Newsom gruesome is, uh, he is the, the second, second candidate for the antichrist. That guy is just a bag of shit. The, all that signal, every bit of that is signal. And look, the other conversation I had this morning that trickled down was, well, these trips could be here for, you know, two or three years before they activate them. I want to remind everybody that you don't move this number of forces into an area of operations without some kind of kinetic activity taking place. You just don't do it. It took us six months to build forces in Iraq and Kuwait to move into Iraq, even coalition forces. So let's use that premise. If the Chinese are building a level of forces to be able to conduct operations in the U.S. with a coalition 
Iran, Russia, Syria, etc. It's going to take them the better part of six or eight months to do that. If they started in, in January, which I think they started long before January, but we saw a massive movement of Chinese coming into the country right around February and March. That's where we really saw them coming across the border in mass. And it was being reported in mass. Assume that was the first point. We're eight months into this, which means they're ready to turn the key if we're using the six-month model that we used in the desert, which means they're right at the precipice to do something. So, so where this question comes, then this this explanation is coming from is somebody asked me, where did you come up with June, July? I was looking at the June, July time based on what we had done in in Kuwait in 1991 when we moved into into Iraq. We had established a beachhead there. We moved in forces. We expand our force presence on the ground, and then we invaded when we had enough force force you know projection and power on the ground to be able to move forward and when we did that we did it quickly and it was what three days two three days of intense and it had been air war all up to up to that point we're in a different scenario chinese don't have air assets here they don't have land assets here they have infantry here but the infantry can do a lot of damage if it's coordinated and it's put in the right places and if we're if we're reading these acquisitions of property around all of our critical infrastructure and military bases, that's a great place to hide infantry. But again, I come back to the same point. You can't tell me that the intelligence services and the military don't know that the Chinese regulars are here on the ground. You can't tell me that. There's, there's literally no way that they move that number of forces and they're not going to do anything with them. This, this has to be a coordinated event because I look back at the early, uh, early 2000s, just after Clinton left office and Bush came into office. Our whole focus, especially in 2000, after 9-11, was our whole focus was literally who's here, how many are here, where are they coming from, where did they come from? Where are they staying? Where are the safe houses? That was our entire focus and the focus of the FBI counterintelligence programs for literally 20 years. You're telling me that we just turned that apparatus off and we don't know that there's 500,000 plus Chinese regulars on the ground? Come on. That whole thought process should be first and foremost in everybody's mind, especially in the military officers. Every single one of us they, they created the Patriot Act, supposedly, so they could go into any business that was supporting terrorism and seize and, con- and, and um, grab everything that was related to that um, relationship or relationships off of that relationship that supported terrorism. You could confiscate literally anything under the Patriot Act. I could point it, I could point it at a business and go, they're supporting Hezbollah. There's 25 guys. There's 20 servers. I need all of them. And the FBI would go round them up and they would bring all those servers. And I could analyze every single one of those servers. Literally with a phone call. And you're telling me that they've moved this number of troops into our country and nobody seems to know where they are? It doesn't pass the sniff test. It tells me that there's coordination at the very top that's allowing this to happen and shutting off the eyes and ears of the agencies that need to know this. Or they're all complicit which I would rather assume they're shutting off the eyes and ears at the national level 
which would explain why they're funneling all the information from Ukraine to the national level, just like all the information from China was being funneled right to Washington, D.C., all the way back to 2012. We have, we have systems, intelligence systems that span the globe that are classified TS. You can communicate with somebody from London all the way to, to Japan via computer almost instantaneously. We built the apparatus to do that throughout 2000, from almost 1998 all the way through the end of 2011 when we fought the war on terror. And you can't tell me that all these field stations have been locked out because I was able to, I could sit in Iraq and pull down intelligence and satellite imagery from intelligence organizations outside the military for specific targets within Iraq. And you're telling me they can't see 500,000 Chinese coming into this country. There has to be coordination. There has to be because you, you, you look at all of those indicators, you look at all that those pieces of information, and you realize that there's there's no other way that we could be seeing this kind of an invasion on our shore without that level of complicity and coordination to move those number of forces here. And you can't look at the number of forces on the ground, assuming those estimates are accurate, which I'm assuming they are, they probably underestimate the footprint that's here and assume that they're not going to do something. That's a lot of people to have on the ground for a long time without any action. And who knows, maybe they're conducting operations right now, we don't know it. Two things could be true at once. There could be a lot of forces, they could be conducting operations, and we may not know about it. Either way, it um, we should be seeing it. And we, 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 we should be seeing some kind of activity, which is interesting. By the way, are, is is chat working? Because I don't see the chat and I've enabled chat and I'm not seeing anything going on here, which is weird. Normally it's it's alive and well. I see one person logged in, but I'm not sure if chat's working. So if it's working, throw something in the chat so I can see that it's working. Otherwise, I'm assuming it's not. So when I've not heard from Lieutenant Colonel Croft, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Conroy, one of those days. Oh, okay. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. It's rumble. Last time it put me into a different channel entirely. So anyway, you don't put that number of forces on the ground without action. And that's what I based my June, July initial estimate on. Because if if you're looking at June, July, I was looking at, they can, they can cut power in, in Southern states when it's super, super hot outside. They can disrupt the flow of goods and services. They can do the same thing in wintertime. It's probably it's probably harder in wintertime, but anyway. I'm thinking that we're close to the precipice and the kickoff moment. I'm thinking they're using and coordinating with, with foreign troops. I think that almost everybody in D.C. has convinced themselves that treason's okay because the ends justifies the means. I think that the the media is completely complicit because they're completely owned by a few oligarchs I, I it's the perfect storm for something big to happen do i think this is going to be a black swan moment i think it's all going to happen relatively close together at the same time and i don't know why i say that i don't have any evidence to back that up but i'm looking at all these indicators 
and the rhetoric that's coming out about China's financial situation, et cetera, that's where it's going. So hopefully that answers the the questions that I that I got earlier today. Hopefully that gives um, folks a little bit of background on some of the topics that I've been talking about in the sit reps because I get I get inundated with a lot of questions every day um, around, you know, what what should I pay attention to? Look, signal versus noise. This discussion is is salient for a lot of reasons. Number one, anything from mainstream media is noise. Anything from legacy social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I don't trust YouTube at all. I don't trust anyone on YouTube because YouTube so heavily censored the truth movement, the UFO movement, some of the other some of the other communities so heavily in 2018 and 2019, running up to the 2020 election, that literally the only people left in 2020 on YouTube were people that were either owned by the establishment, manipulated by the establishment, or too afraid to say anything controversial and not worth listening to. And I still think that that's the same. And the Sean Ryan show is, I'm on the fence about Sean Ryan. I think he's a controlled asset, but he says and does things at times that make me believe otherwise, but he's still on YouTube. And, you know, I, I said the same thing about Tori, you know, she, there's always, you know, sick of fans for each, each one of these folks and good, bad, or indifferent. I don't trust anything that's on YouTube because it's proven to be owned by the elite and the establishment. I mean, look at Ben Shapiro, total cuck to the establishment, went to a private dinner with Mark Zuckerberg to plead that he could stay on Facebook and on Instagram. Total sellout. And he's still on Instagram, he's still on YouTube, and he's still on Facebook. There's there's literally no reason about for for anybody to even, and maybe there's good, good content out there. I don't know. But I trust I trust some of the things I see some of the things I see on Rumble. I trust some of the news outlets. Everybody knows I like revolver.news. I love the the Washington uh, the yeah, the Washington pundit. I like um Tracy Beans because they're they're doing facts-based reporting. And there's a lot of substacks out there like Alex Craner, um, Tom Longo that are really doing they're doing yeoman's work to try and explain the financial picture from an unbiased perspective. And that to me is, is a, um, is signal versus noise, but I consider everything noise until I can prove it's signal. It's like, you know, somebody sent me a comment about, and, and I'll answer the question about bricks in just a second, just like I'll answer the question about, um, the Lahaina stuff. The, Somebody responded to my comment about direct energy weapons. Let me clarify. I don't know if the technology exists. I know after working in that business, after being a space and missile officer, I could tell you that we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy not weaponizing space. We put up GPS satellites. We put up missile detection. We put up spy satellites. We put up a lot of capabilities to monitor and pay attention and for early warning. We did not put up offensive systems because we didn't want a weapons race in space. That was a stated goal of every single, every single president from the Stark Treaty 
all the way through now. I look, I don't know who's in charge of the White House right now. I don't, I don't care who the renter is. It's a renter. But we had military doctrine that said we were not going to weaponize space. So if that technology exists, it's not owned by the military. If that technology exists, I'd like to see proof that it exists and what those warnings and indications would be if it was used on any terrain across the planet. A tree burning from the inside out could happen in a forest fire. Forest Fires burn intensely. And trust me, I was in Lake Chelan in 2015 when the whole place went up in fucking smoke from a lightning strike. And I was literally half a mile away from the fire line. And it was so fucking hot that it melted the plastic on all of my vehicles, even my boat. And I was half a fucking mile away. Yeah, I think trees can burn from the inside out in the midst of a forest fire. Shit like that happens. But the point is, is that there's no direct evidence that any of this stuff is true. And we have to go off factual information. We can't go off somebody, see this dude I know knows this other dude who knows this dude who saw some shit that he thinks was a laser. So it's got to be a laser attack. I mean, come on. Fact, fact-based reporting. It's the most important thing we should be paying attention to. That is signal. That's, that's why I like, and that's why I promote the Washington Pundit. Because I know that whole staff is working to validate stories, and they won't publish shit unless they can prove that they have facts that are, that are verifiable. That's what we have, that's what we have to operate from. You can't operate from what you want it to be, what you think it could be, what you think it should be. You have to operate from what do we know? I mean, that's that's how we operate in the battlefield. We talk about the fog of war. That's where you have a certain amount of information in front of you. Your intelligence guy is telling you, sir, these are the images we have. This is the intel we have. This is where we got the intel. This is how the enemy's arrayed on the battlefield. This is their disposition of forces. This is what we're facing. These are the numbers we think we're facing. Those are things you know. And you can you can make assumption off the things you know, but you can't make assumption off of things you don't know. And I, I have a hard time believing that in less than seven years, especially under Trump, that we weaponize space. I have a very hard time believing that. Do I believe that the Chinese or the Russians have done it? Absolutely, I do. I think the Russians have weaponized everything, including space, because they've they've had the most active space program, and they've had the most they've had the most active um, satellite program. And China has been in the mix. By the way, I'm going to add Lieutenant uh, Con- Lieutenant Colonel Conrad here. Let me do that, Colonel Conrad. Hello, you there, Steve? Yeah, good to have you. Thanks I apologize for being late here. I've uh, had some emergencies to handle, and I may have to take a, a call from my staff for just a second later. But uh, I'm here. Let's let's uh, let's That's see what's fine. going. Lots to talk about. So yeah, I charge by the minute. So but you're good. <laughs> um, I was just talking about. I don't know how much of this you caught, but I was just talking about the directed energy weapon conversation because I got a bunch of feedback on it after my last set rep. And what I was trying to express is, do I think the, the Russians and the Chinese have weaponized space? Absolutely, I do. I, but do, to what extent is the question? 
and to what capability is really the question. And you and I were talking last night about um, the the coordination between both the nation states as well as uh, across the elite circles. And our, our, we went back and forth um, and had, had several salient points. And I was just making the point just a minute ago that um, you don't move. And I was, was comparing it to the buildup in Kuwait prior to our push into Iraq and Kuwait in uh, 91, how long it took us logistically to move enough forces and combat power into theater to be able to take those objectives. And I was comparing that to if I, you know, because somebody asked me, where did you get June, July as a time frame for kinetic ops? And part of that was I was looking at our buildup prior to the invasion of Kuwait and comparing that to where we are now, given the fact that by the time we started seeing Chinese troops coming across the border, Chinese, you know, military age males, that we had already been a year into the, the Biden regime. And if I'm looking at if I'm looking at the movement of forces and assuming that they've been moving for a year and they don't have the same logistical support that we had and they're doing it ad hoc, that it would take probably six months to eight months to be able to get enough forces on the ground to do any kind of disruptive operations. So that's where the June, July piece of that came from. But you and I expanded on that. We were talking about the coordination between the elite and China. And, and I think they're all working together. Um, and I guess that's a good place to start to get your thoughts on, on the situation as you see it with the coordination, because you made an interesting comment in the last round table. And that was, you know, they've had 15 years to plan and war game the shit out of this. And I, I had, had not brought that up. So I'm going to let you talk through that and uh, give your thoughts on that too. Cause I think you're spot on. All right. Well, just so people understand how I read the hierarchy, uh, I believe first that while China is an ancient culture, it is a relatively new country in terms of their, you know, social communist government. And you've got the the globalists who, in essence, made a decision way back when Mao was was fighting his revolution to essentially abandon the nationalists and and Chiang Kai Shek, and and move on to a communist form of government there much as they endorsed communist form of government in the Soviet Union. So I still believe that the globalists hold dominion over the communists, over the Chinese. Um, that being said, they're more than happy to work with one another. And uh, while, while certainly the Chinese could do some ad-libbing or change course if they needed to, um, I, I believe it's they've got confluent interests in bringing down the United States. And if you look at the current situation in the world order, uh, when have you had an opportunity with an American president who was literally in the financial pocket uh, directly under the influence of the communists in China? Well, you have it now. You never had it before that we know. Um, in addition to that, You've got this deliberate weakening of the United States on just about every front you can think of, whether it's financial, whether it's military, whether it's health, whether it's food processing, uh, up and down the entire spectrum. You've got these these concurrent lines of effort by the globalists and I think working hand in glove with the Chinese to weaken us and get us to a point of vulnerability 
at which point they make a decision, how do they execute final plans towards us? And whether that's a, a, a Trojan horse type operation where you risk everything because you've put four or 500,000 people, military age males, et cetera, trained soldiers inside the United States. Uh, well, of course, there are many mitigating circumstances for something like that. Are they going to be successful in weakening the American military, not just in terms of, of health and firepower, but in terms of presence? So we've seen things in the past week whereby uh, you have the potential on the horizon for a worst case scenario. That is to say, Iran attempting to engage us in Syria and potentially uh, Iraq and tying down resources, soldiers in those areas. And then on the other hand, you've got the issue with the question of Taiwan. Um, Taiwan may, may indeed be something of a more diminutive, less vitality in their interest scale. Um, I would have to think that anything to weaken us and bring us down would, would be the highest priority. But nonetheless, saber rattling in the direction of Taiwan would be something more that could draw uh, American resources out in the Pacific, hundreds or even thousands of miles away uh, from the continental United States. So you have that scenario, you have the Ukraine situation where we're building up forces um, and continue to support the Ukrainians um, with troops in various countries on the periphery of the Ukraine. And uh, so you have the makings of a perfect storm, so to speak, drawing American forces out of the continental United States, creating more or less a void. And, and um, then on top of that, you've got the situation with the Chinese having purchased all kinds of property in proximity to American uh, installations. So it, it doesn't take a great deal of, uh, <laughs> of simple math to add up those factors and realize that's, that's a really bad situation for the United States geostrategically. Um, then on the other hand, you've got, you've got, uh, I beg your pardon, Steve, I have one emergency I got to deal with here. If you could take over for just a second. Yeah, no worries. So he, he, Colonel Conrad said a lot better than I could say it. We, it. This was part of the discussion yesterday. And it's part of the reason why the, I think the ball keeps moving. Um, and he'll, he may touch on this when he comes back, but anytime you do uh, coordinated operations, and I've said this in my Sarah hundreds of times, so it, but it bears repeating. Anytime you do coordinated operations that are very complex, especially complex operations involving a large amount of forces, it takes a lot of coordination, takes a lot of communication, and it takes a lot of logistics and time to coordinate all those forces. And we had in 91 when the air assets were took off uh, from Ali Asselin to go attack Kuwait and drop targets, uh, hit targets in Iraq that first night. We had Apaches moving moving um, north at low level. They flew, I think, a couple hundred miles at low level to hit air defense systems with inside Iraq. And we we didn't know how capable they were, but they flew those aircraft all the way in, did refueling points in the desert, and flew in and attacked those targets and then flew back and then launched the, the, uh, the air assault on Iraq. That was a huge monumental effort to get all those aircraft up, to deconflict all those aircraft, to move all those 
aircraft to targets and then move them back. It was huge amount of logistics to do that. And that's, I think that's, that's exactly why I say that this is being coordinated by the, the leadership in this country and across the planet, because you can't move this number of troops without somebody seeing it, saying it and alerting everybody else. And there's, you know, 500,000 troops is a huge, huge amount of troops. We had 110,000 troops in Iraq, 110,000. And it was a Herculean effort to get that much combat, combat power on the ground and to sustain it. I mean, sustainment for the first two years of the war, because we weren't just, we weren't just in theater. We were in theater. We were building garrisons. We were building bases. We were, we did that for three years, literally the whole year uh, of 2003 and 2004, they were literally building the green, the green zone off wall palace. They were building Mosul up in uh, the palace that I was at the whole year from, from the, from the moment they took the country, the 101st started, started building um, outposts throughout the country. And that took a significant amount of time, almost three years to do that. So it's, well, and I'll answer the, the question about um, Craner. So Craner, Craner's view of the world is that the Chinese are using the globalists to achieve their ends. And that may be true. Two things can be true at once, right? The, the, the Chinese might be playing along with the globalists. The Chinese might be, might be in bed with the globalists. It might be a loose relationship to accomplish their short-term and long-term aims. But it doesn't mean they're going to stay that relationship is going to stay in in the same situation it's in now, right? It's a marriage of convenient while convenience while it lasts, and then when it's no you're no longer an asset, you're a liability, and they get rid of you. And somebody asked me about the BRICS summit, and the BRICS summit to me is a prime opportunity for some kind of kinetic action against the group to to justify a world war. That would be that would be one scenario. The other one, it could just be a nothing burger. It just could be a bunch of countries getting together, trying to figure out how they're going to do a common currency. And again, the the U.S. dollar is still the cleanest currency on the planet to work with, and is still the most traded across the planet. This is a this is a conference to figure out, for them to figure out how they're going to do it amongst themselves, and that could be a tenuous process in and of itself. We may not, you know, they nothing may happen. They could just go down there and then and have conversations and then leave and nothing comes out of it. But I thought it was interesting today that they basically cross-bodied one of Xi's bodyguards on the way into the conference and um, it didn't draw attention. If And the guy was carrying a suitcase, which could be their version of the football, which would be mostly bad if they, you know, they cross-bodied the guy who's carrying the football. Here, that would be detrimental. But I thought that was the most comical part of it, but Putin specifically did not go. But I think it's interesting that Prigozhin dies the same day that the BRICS conference starts. I thought that was very interesting. Then the two being correlated could be, could not be, but he was definitely, according to, I was just looking at Telegram while Colonel Conroe was talking, that he could definitely be, um, could have been set up and shut down by Russian air defenses, which I think is very interesting. 
I'm just wondering how they're going to um, justify it because there were seven key leaders plus uh, or there's four key leaders, a pilot, a co-pilot and a flight attendant on the flight. And that's very interesting that they would take out specific heads of, of Wagner group today of all days at the start of the BRICS conference. Very interesting. And I don't, those of you who've listened to me know that I don't believe in coincidence. So there's probably a reason for it. I just haven't put the piece together yet. Hopefully that answers the answers the question on Prigozhin. Um, and, and I know that uh, a lot of people are wondering about, uh, and somebody posted something in the channel where we're talking to you about direct energy weapons. If you notice in the, in the post on Telegram in the channel, the chat, by the way, about direct energy weapons, all of our stuff, all of our test beds are all airborne. They're not space-based. And I'm drawing your attention to that for a very specific reason. Like I said, I never said the capability didn't exist. What I'm trying to say and what I've been trying to say is we've made it a very, very salient point not to weaponize space and not to put assets in space that would weaponize space. Because when you, the moment you do that, you create an arms race. And we don't, we don't have the money, the time, or the resources to fight a war in space. Because let me tell you what that looks like. That looks like a bunch of stuff coming down every single night, hitting cities all over the planet. Because when you take something out of orbit, you don't have a hell of a lot of control. You have zero control. And it lands where it lands and burns up. And if it's a big payload, because you have two parts of a satellite. You have what's called the bus, which controls the satellite with rocket engines and then and thrusters. And then you have the payload. And the payload is usually what, what that satellite's designed to do, whether it's a spy, spy satellite, whether it's thermal detection. Look, we have satellites in space, and we've had satellites in space for over 20 years that can detect an aircraft engine above a certain altitude and tell you exactly what aircraft that is and identify that aircraft and watch it go across the sky. Cause these are in geosynchronous orbit, which means they're way out 20, you know, way out in, in high earth orbit. And they they look stationary over the planet. So they see a specific part of the planet 24 seven low earth orbit satellites. They operate differently, right? They, they pass over your head. So you put a bunch of them into a, what's called a band and so you have constant coverage over a specific part of the world. And one of the hardest things for us to do as a as a nation, I don't think anybody's cracked the code on this yet. They might have. But when I was in the business, they hadn't cracked the code, is that it was hard to put satellites above the poles. We couldn't put satellites in orbit around the poles for, for whatever reason. And it's been, you know, a ton of years, so I can't remember all the, the reasons why we couldn't do it. The, the Russians got the closest because they put a satellite in an elliptical orbit that was able to give them coverage over the North Pole to a certain extent, but they couldn't keep it there. So even if these weapons do exist, I I, I would like to know, I, I, and I would make the I would make the assumption that they're not ours, and that if those weapons exist and we've weaponized space, that's a bigger issue than whether or not the weapon exists is the fact that we started a an arms race in space. That is that is technically that's mostly bad because it opens us up to all kinds of attacks that 
would decimate our economy and decimate our way of life. And, it, I, you know, everybody goes down the path, like, for years, the whole space business was wrapped up in space-based EMP generators. It was just a, it was a stupid argument. But if you understood how much money this country spent from 1945 through 1980 on hardening systems against EMP and electromagnetic pulse from a, from a nuclear weapon, you would be astonished. All of our infrastructure, which, by the way, our military, our infrastructure, our command and control structure, all that shit's 40 years old. Very, very little of it has been modernized, if any. So if there's a space race and there's weapons in space that can dismantle that, we have bigger issues. Sorry, Dave. No, actually, just to tack on to what you were saying, one of the things you mentioned yesterday is that um, if something has been weaponized and put into space by the United States, it's not necessarily something our military did, but could well be a certain <laughs> a certain agency <laughs> known as Christians in Action. And uh, they've been known to take matters into their own hands. I don't know what their what their financial resources are, but they have to be extravagant. And I would say this, I don't think it would be safe to assume if there was a directed energy weapon used to initiate problems in Hawaii, uh, I don't think it would be safe to assume that it was the Chinese or the Russians. I think the people most likely to have that technology based on our, uh, well, based on a number of technologies we possess, most likely would be the United States. And if you think about it, when you look at all of the things being done, um, I would have no compunction in thinking that the globalists directing, uh, whether it's CIA or some other activity that's completely covert, but under their purview, um, I would tend to think that's a far more likely scenario than China or Russia risking a direct overt directed energy attack on the United States. The only reason I have a hard time with this whole this whole directed energy conversation in the first place is that Lahaina, there's no strategic value right. in Lahaina whatsoever. There's no military base there. There's no deep underground military base. If there is, it's the best kept secret I've ever heard of. But well, I was a tourist town. I, I wasn't. I apologize. I, I wasn't saying that I felt that this was caused by a directed energy weapon. I was simply dovetailing onto what you were talking about, that if it was, it would more likely have been our own origin um, than Russia or China from my perspective. But, but again, I don't think it was a directed energy weapon. I think uh, other things were done. And I don't have enough information to, to, you know, offer a lot more insight than that. But, you know, the world's a funny thing. Look at what happened uh, within the Russian community today. Well, the only thing missing from COVID was an alien invasion. So the world is wide open at this point for any scenario. I mean, I'm just basing my opinion off of the conversations I had all the way into 2014 about weaponizing space. Because I still, I know a lot of people in that business still, and they all say the same thing. We, we have gone to great lengths not to weaponize space. And you know, General Raymond, when he was the head of Space Con or uh, Space Force, um, and even Chance Olsen. I mean, I served with Chance Olsen. I know the guy. 
they all of them said the same thing that we don't want a space we don't want an arms race in space now does that mean the intelligence agencies don't have their own shit up there you know when they created the nro and they started putting spy assets up there that was under one umbrella and then we created the director of national intelligence the the landscape changed completely so they and and the pile of money you were talking about is what's called doty money defense department of defense intelligence it's a bucket of money that's all deficit spending and it's this big black budget that, that goes into this big black hole and they create all kinds of programs i know i had a couple of them that i spent tremendous amounts of money to build capabilities and that's where that money would come from but the cia and um and nsa they operate in their own space and they have their own budget to do their own shit. but all those assets are launched out of the cape or they're launched out of annenberg they're not launched out of anywhere else uh, and the only other potential is sea launch they created the sea launch capability years ago and i don't know if it was ever fully operational i know that the capability existed and they could put that sucker off of midway island or off of one of the atolls down in Kwajalein, and you would never know anything was going on so is it is it possible yes is it probable yes to what degree i don't know but i i just i don't want to make the leap until i have some solid facts that say definitively these indicators were there and that's that's where my head's at you know steve one of the things that has occurred to me when you look at all of these bizarre activities whether it's inexplicable wildfires across canada uh, or california or hawaii whether you look at food processing plants having multiple aircraft crash into them for god's sakes what are the odds of that uh whether you talk about the chinese purchasing land near military facilities. Uh, and I can go on and on and on. Um, I can't help but think there's there's measures of conditioning where they are trying to do enough bizarre things that when the things that really count happen, people won't necessarily notice because they'll already be used to a number of, well, at the very least tragic, uh, if not completely bizarre things occurring. In well, other social conditioning has been going on for how long now? Exactly. But, but this yeah. is very this is very directed social conditioning with with a goal towards setting stage for things happening in this next year, focusing in towards the election, like I like I said. Well I, yeah. We we part ways because I think it's gonna be this year, not next year. And and I don't mind being wrong because you know it gives us more time to prepare, but you never know. And as far as a uh, metal answering your question, um, you know, Scott Kesterson, he's, he's a good analyst too. And, um, you know, two things can be true at once. Um, they could have said, used it as an example. It's hard to say. If you listen to the narrative that's coming out of Lahaina and the, the narrative about Lahaina, this is a land grab for oligarchs is really what the narrative is. And if that's true, and and this, this some kind of a weapon was used to clear that area, that's significant. And it, in my view of that is, if they're literally doing that, using those kind of weapons on a US, a US territory, so oligarchs can buy the land and build mansions, that says to me they're trying to build a massive replacement for Epstein Island. 
because all those players are the same players that were supposedly hooked up with Epstein. And if, if, um, cause I don't trust Oprah Winfrey at all. I, I think she is a, she's a slimy turd and all of her work in Africa. A lot of girls have been affected by that and just go do the, just go do a cursory amount of research on what Oprah's done in Africa, supposedly starting schools and everything else. And then look at the number of children that have disappeared in those areas. You're going to see some startling information. So that's, that's how I'll answer that question. But um, and let, let's Dave, let's get back to, cause I want to, I know I only have a limited amount of your time. Let's get back to your assessment of the coordination between the globalists and what you think the, the kickoff points are going to be. Cause the, the piece that everybody wants to know is what's going to be the kickoff. You already know my view of the world because I say it over and over again. So well, and let me just say, obviously, uh, you've been you've been seeing in the media people talking about uh, another COVID uh, lockdown and everybody masking and things like that. I think I think they're making a mistake doing it at at this particular juncture because I think people there's a lot of people, whether it be in our Congress or whether it's on social media or whatever. A lot of people barking back, resisting against this, already saying they're just simply not going to comply. Um, I do expect some form of of uh, pandemic to come along separate from COVID or at least some variation that is about two or three times more deadly, maybe worse than that. And, and again, I'm not sure if they're trying to condition us and get people to step forward and say, Hell no, we're not going to lock down so that when they hit us with something really lethal, people won't lock down and things will be more more apt to spread and even even deadlier uh, than they might have otherwise been. And th- and this so- is the part that I wanted you to get to, Dave, because this was the conversation we had yesterday. And I, I wanted you to talk through this versus my view, view of this. So keep going, because this is exactly what I wanted to get to. Well, that's one line of effort. The the medical health of people in the United States. Um, and we, we talk in terms of COVID, but as Dr. Brian Artis has identified, the origins of not just COVID, but the spike proteins about what they put in water, what they put in uh, inoculations, go back to this whole concept of uh, snake venom. Uh, and there seems to be increasing levels of evidence to support this that's genetically supported by uh, laboratories in Italy, uh, as well as France. Even the NI, even the National Institute in Health, National Institute of Health has uh, produced some startling information recently. And uh, I understand there's people in our military that have, have pushed forward some information in this regard, saying, hey, you need to get this out there. And if you think about that disease process, it's really not logical to assume it's a respiratory disease when we weren't seeing smokers and people with lung issues affected nearly as badly as the kind of uh, uh, neurotoxic events that we're seeing in people. Anyhow, uh, I don't want to get too deep down that rabbit hole, but the bottom line is the medical situation is is a major issue because it affects people on a day-to-day basis. It affects every one of us potentially. It affects business and so on. So that's a major line of effort that, that paid off in spades in their little uh, escapade a couple of years ago. And that links right back towards the election. 
because you have to expect that if we make it to an election, that's an if, uh, nobody can guarantee we will or we won't. But if we do, I fully expect there will be some type of precipitating events that cause um, cause the government to say it's simply too dangerous to have people showing up and voting in person. We have to do this all by mail-in ballot or over your phone. And oh, by the way, here's the technology we're going to roll out and you can play with it and use it and make history. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> They'll roll out. They've been, so the, the first part of the first COVID round, and I said this earlier, the first COVID round was to build the infrastructure for the social scoring system. The next COVID round is to consolidate power and get people to sign up for the technology like WeChat, which is exactly why Elon Musk is building a satellite network and building X into WeChat so that they have global coverage for WeChat for X and for using X as the social scoring system. There's, there's ample evidence to support that. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. And the other thing that I heard um, yesterday and today is that they're, they're back, the pharmaceuticals are back to paying bonuses along with the federal government, NIH, NAID, are back to paying bonuses to medical hospital to, to healthcare um, providers to support this this next round of lockdowns. So if that's the case, then they, that's absolutely a probable and possible scenario. Absolutely. Well, I you know I uh, I think we're we're in total agreement on that. Um, but so we touched briefly upon the situation uh, militarily of distractions and events uh, Oconus outside of the continental US to draw troops and resources away. Uh, we've talked about not just dumbing down, but but you know medically compromising the United States population. And, and let's remember how critically important that is when we talk about our best and brightest in uniform right now, because you're damn sure gonna see people in officers uniforms ordering people to get shots and we already know how deadly that is you see Rand paul talking about you know it being malpractice to inoculate anybody who's young but i'm i'm absolutely convinced they're gonna they're gonna double down on inoculations for the military which may in turn lead to either mass resignations mass desertions or or complete disarray within the ranks and, and a breakdown in discipline which or further or which <laughs> yes worse, right but, mass death. absolutely and it but it all whether it's door number one door number two or door number three it all plays into the kind of end results that they're looking for right yeah so so we keep looking at different lines of effort and you just talked about social media you talked about elon musk talking about communications um i agree with you 100 percent uh, you know, let's let's draw the link right now for a second between what I said a few moments ago. If you have all of these things going on and you have all of this dependence that we have on alternate media platforms and all of a sudden and, and at the same time, there is absolute distrust, absolute confusion amongst our population. Uh, and then all of a sudden you take away the alternate media and and communication systems, whether we're talking about cell phone networks, whether we're talking about uh, internet systems, and now you've got people completely isolated. Yep, 
I'm glad you I'm glad you touched on that. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that too because we had that and, conversation too. And so, you know, it, this this these kinds of things go all the way back to Henry Kissinger. I remember him in the 70s after Nixon had resigned, sitting there being interviewed, openly bragging about how disoriented they had a, a disoriented state of mind they had created in uh, you know Richard Nixon. Yeah. And and whether it's people protesting violently outside the White House or any, any number of different things, I can't but, remember the book that talks about that whole scenario where Nixon. They talk about Carter, Nixon, Bush, and the the apparatus around them during their presidencies and vice presidencies. And I don't remember the book, but it was very very telling about what they did to Nixon. Well, this he was is so confused that he yes. didn't know which way was up. Well, it's psychological warfare. And these are psyops on top of psyops. And let's face it, they've had decades to perfect the art. They do it exceedingly well. And they're they're in the business of manipulation, if nothing else, right? Well, that's so, all they got, right? Manipulation, <laughs> fear, and intimidation. That's all they got. And that's that's you know, I will say I'll give the Russians and the Chinese um props because they're the Chinese are exceptional. In information operations they're exceptional at it they their use of proxies the amount of money they've spent on proxies to exonerate themselves of any kind of um any kind of accountability is nothing short of incredible i have seen the chinese do things where i'm like you scratch your head going what the fuck are they doing and then then the the event occurs you're like ah that's what that was all leading up to they paid this person to pay this person to do an act here that would lead to this collapse of this government here, install this new communist friendly regime, and they have they've touched none of it. Priceless. And they're exceptional at it. And I can't help but think that they learned all that from us or stole it from us, probably both. And we've been because I think this this the current psychological operations that are going on right now. I think all of this was planned before 9-11. Every bit of it. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think I think they have different iterations of planning. They have long-term planning, which takes decades, if not longer, to fulfill. They've got intermediate objective planning. And of course they've got near-term planning, which is where you get into, you know, passing through certain gateways. Does X happen or does Y happen? Here's our decision point. It it happened to be X that happened. These are how pe this is how people reacted. So now we're gonna we're gonna go with that line of effort, and um, you know, work towards controlling uh, energy system or things in education. Or my goodness, I think we need an electromagnetic pulse weapon to go off and shut down the power grid in the eastern third of the united states i mean there's there's any number of gateways you can go through here right but or all at once <laughs> well uh, yes exactly overkill uh, is always good and so um you know we happen to be approaching a um a focal point in history and you know i had put you on to that interview with um oh i'm blanking the former russian counterintelligence officer speaks about six languages lives in spain Brzezinski or whatever his name is no um i'm sorry 
uh, wrote the, the Bilderberg Group. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name either. Um, I know exactly who you're talking about and exactly what he what he said. And, and, and so his terms were the English language doesn't have the right words to explain the magnitude of what we're heading for. And oh, that was that was uh, Daniel Daniel Estulin. Estulin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I was. I, I, I was blanking. Yeah, yeah. Right. So what that stuff was the book. the The Bilderberg book is where he talked about the the operations they did against Nixon. Thanks for reminding me. So. <laughs> it's all connected, Steve. It's God, all I'm connected. Old as fuck and can't remember anything. That's for sure. No. Anyhow, uh, by the way, I did go back and watch Star Trip starship troopers last night just just for grins and giggles what did you see the moment did you did you see it because i was looking for it last night after you said uh, it so i was a little bit off in my recall but what a fabulous movie that was right anyhow back the on acting track. especially was of course awesome. <laughs> of course but but back on track um you know whether we regardless of which line of effort that we focus and discuss um we have to keep in mind that in in any of these lanes heading down this road, we are headed for some type of, of cataclysmic focal point. And, and I, I know intelligence officers are often called chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We're always accused of that. Shit, I've been saying it for two years. You know that. Well, I, I, I have to say, um, I, I think that the... I think that the ultimate prize is going to be uh, in the in the demise of the United States and the dissolution or um, shredding of the United States Constitution, which has been a thorn in the side of authoritarian rule for the past two and a half to three centuries. Yeah. Well, two and a half centuries. Yeah, but, and I think uh, secession's a part of the day too. I, I I don't think I don't think it will be just disruption and um, destruction of key um, leadership infrastructure. I think it's going to be secession too, because you have several states already having those discussions. Right. And I think that as things precipitate and start moving faster and faster, you're going to see that happen too. And the, the piece, the other piece I want, I wanted you to talk through is we had a conversation about what happens if the U S loses on our own shore. What happens then? Because that's a salient conversation to have, not from the perspective of that ultimately we're going to lose, but people see defeat. Because if I look back at the start of World War World War II, the Japanese were advancing on all fronts from December 7th of 41 until June 6th or June 3rd and 4th of 42 when Midway occurred. We had no wins. It was just retreat, retreat, loss, 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 loss. And the powers that be really thought the Japanese were going to invade the mainland of California. That's that's how paranoid they were because of the catastrophic loss in the Philippines, the loss, the losses that occurred all through the island chain, all the way down to Australia and the, the, the actions of Coral Sea. We were literally on the ropes. And I mean... Economically, no. Production-wise, no. But this time we are. This time we are definitively, we don't produce anything. We're about to be a net importer of oil. We don't We don't export anything of, of any significance other than weapons that we've Steve, taken out of our stockpiles. Steve, it's, it's worse than that. Look, when we were losing 
atolls and islands in the Pacific. That was bad enough, but it was not the continental United States. Now, I'm going to freak you out for a second, and I'm going to take you back to a Star Trek episode of Next Generation. It was called Yesterday's Enterprise, and it was an alternate reality because something changed the timeline. And there was a point where Captain Picard said quietly to Guinan, he said, this is not commonly known, but unless something changes in the next couple of months, we are going to have to capitulate to the Klingon Empire. That wasn't like we lose a battle. That was like we lose everything. That's the kind of magnitude I'm talking about. So if we lose on this continent, um, that's that's a whole lot heavier, a whole lot deeper than losing influence over the Pacific, as, as bad as that was at the beginning of World War II. Do I think it will come to that? No. I think that people, I think that there are people waking up I think that we are the best armed society in the history of mankind as far as citizenship goes. And I think that, uh, you know, the first opportunity for a United Nations, L, uh, excuse me, one second, Steve. I'll take, give me a minute. Sorry about that. Anyhow, um, I think that if, if we face that option of things happening on the continental United States, I think that will be the ultimate triggering opportunity, the ultimate triggering event. Um, I actually feel very bad for certain groups of people, particularly Asians, if something is driven by the Chinese military itself, because I think much like when uh, people were worried about Muslims attacking, you saw Sikhs and people wearing turbans who were Indian getting attacked out of you know pure, utter ignorance. So it sets up a catastrophic situation, but I, I still believe in the manifest destiny of the United States. And, and let's face it, it's, it's like, like Reagan said, there is nowhere to retreat to. I agree. And I think the other piece that I'll add to that, and by the way, thanks for, for circling back to that. Cause I knew we were headed there and then we got derailed. Um, I, I firmly believe that there will be a catalyst moment and you're right the amount of vitriol and hatred that fucking Bush and Bremer created towards Muslims was absolutely appalling. And it was done on purpose and it was done to alienate, not just, and it's not just one, one um, ethnicity. It was done to alienate an entire religion. And it was, it was stupid. Like debathification was stupid. The whole premise of that was fucking dumb. It created this, this subculture that a lot of innocent people were affected here in the U S and rolled up by the intelligence authorities, et cetera. And that's, that's was the precursor to what they're about to do. And imagine being Japanese or Korean and that vitriol, you know, Yes, I hate yes. to say it, but that vitriol after Pearl Harbor and putting the Japanese in internment camps, the guy who planned all that was Patton. He planned all of that. He's the guy that built the plan to intern the Japanese should there be a war with, the, with Japan. He wrote that in the 20s. Hmm. Imagine the vitriol back then and imagine the vitriol with Americans here. You could be born and, born and raised in the U.S. 
and be Chinese descent and people won't care because they did the, after 9-11, people did not care. If they heard Muslim, you were the enemy. And it didn't help when I'm sitting in the Pentagon and fucking Bush says, we're going to go on a crusade. Literally everybody in the room stopped and went, what the fuck did he just say? Did he just say we're going on a crusade? That, yeah. that was the worst messaging ever. And there are a lot of people that still believe that. And they're not neocons. They're average Americans. So you're right. If there is some kind of kinetic action that's done by the Chinese, that's visible to the public, which I think there will be, it's going to be a very, very tough slog. And, you know, the hard part um, that I think most Americans are going to have to swallow is that, and I, I firmly believe this too, we're going to get our asses handed to us for a couple of weeks and then we're going to get organized. And then, we're going to take the fight to the enemy because the one thing we have in this country that no other country has is we have millions of combat veterans that are just a few years out of combat that still remember what that's all about. Yep. Still know how to do that and will not fuck around. You know, as troops says, fuck around and find out they're about to find out that there's a bunch of former military that will not fuck around. And I think ultimately will be, We'll reclaim our country, but it's going to be a great cost. And I think that, you know, along the lines of will, we're the salient um, light at the end of the tunnel for everybody in the plan. There's a place to run to. I also think we're anointed by God. We were put here. This country flourished for 200 years because of divine intervention. Now, will we see that again? God, I don't know. I, I am I'm hoping for the law of unintended consequences to play effect and and accelerate their plan and throw them off to give us time to prepare. But God knows what's going to happen. Steve, let me just jump in for one second. I need to disengage. If you wanted to continue, I'd, I'd need about 10 minutes off offline. If uh, if you want to wrap up with some other stuff. I'm yeah, gonna gonna, how about up. I wrap up? We'll do this again next week and uh, we'll we'll continue the conversation because I'm sure this is going to generate tons of questions. So uh, let's let's call it a night. If there's any other questions, put them in the chat now. Otherwise, I appreciate everybody jumping on. I know we've been across a lot of topics. Uh, so usually how these things go. But uh, yeah, I do appreciate the, uh, not just people showing up, but I appreciate the, uh, the feedback, the comments, and uh, the questions. It makes these a, a, a lot more enjoyable to do, and it makes them flow a lot better. So I appreciate it. And Dave, I appreciate you being on. Appreciate uh, the feedback. I'm sorry I was limited tonight, but I think we're going to have some. Yeah, no, uh, and I was going to mention they took out, the Ukrainians apparently took out a, a Russian S-400 system today, if you didn't see that. I did not see that. That's we'll talk through that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stuff to talk about. Coming fast and furious. All right. All right, brother. Yeah. You take care. Thanks, everyone. Thank Have you. a good night. Out here.